Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we discuss the most common questions from our clients and customers, such as how has the pandemic affected investing? Is now a good time to invest their cash? And is the UK property market a bubble waiting to burst? With Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments... Rob Smith, Head of Behavioural Finance, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments. Hello, welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. So this week, we've seen a little bit of relaxation in, in restrictions. I don't know about you guys. Hi, Will. Hi, Rob. Have you headed out to restaurants and things so far? I have to admit, in this weather, I'm, I'm sitting at home. I have no interest. No, nothing has changed for me, I have to say. I'm just Deliveroo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, sadly, I'm, sadly, nothing exciting to report on my end either. Oh, well, may, maybe next week. I'm, I'm supposed to be at a garden gathering, obviously under 30 people, and and uh, listening to Glastonbury being streamed. But I think we're going to get the whole whole experience with rain and mud and wellies. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll report on that next week. Keep, keep fingers crossed for sunshine. But we thought we'd, we'd talk a little bit about questions and things on the minds of our, of our clients and customers. And as you've heard, we've got Will and Rob Smith, our head of behavioral finance, because actually a lot of what we're hearing and a lot of the things that are starting to unfold are really very much steeped in behavioural finance. So, Rob, you can you can um, smatter a little bit of credibility and understanding in, in what we're going to talk about. So let's jump straight in. I guess the first thing is with the pandemic, obviously, sadly, you know, many people have had economic hardship based on on the closures and the lockdowns. But equally, there are a number of people that have managed to save by lack of spending, but also, you know, saving money on commuting and that kind of thing. What we've found, I think, is that, you know, clearly there is that residual cash from missed holidays, etc. So we know also that cash returns have been pretty paltry, pretty much next to zero. So there is an element of cash that's an important element of both everyday, day-to-day living, but also having some emergency funds. But Will, just starting with you, what have we started to see with respect to any kind of build-up in, in savings levels? Uh, Nikki, you sort of hit the nail on the head there with all of that. There's almost no need for me to say anything, but <laughs> you're, you're totally right that one of the striking features of this crisis, you know, savings ratios tend to rise in recessions, uh, rising caution amongst consumers in terms of how they think about treating their earnings. That both, you know, tends to feed and feed off the wider economic downturn up to a point. You know, so this time there was certainly some precautionary saving, but there was also this, you know, as you rightly allude to, this big chunk of pre-crisis spending options taken off the table, you know, and that has primarily been associated with services, of course. Uh, you know, so Amazon and co picked up the rest. But, but you know, that part of, you know, spending was off limits and uh, through a mixture of, uh, you know, government mandate and altered risk, risk appetite. Now, as you say, that buildup of excess savings is the prize that supposedly awaits if the pandemic can be brought to heel to a sufficient degree. Uh, and we may be starting to see that coming through in the last month or so, to be honest. You know, you are seeing um, a rapid pickup in offline retail activity. Some of that is at the expense of online, but, you know, you're seeing you know, far from all, basically. 
offline being presumably what my kids like to call IRL in real life, sort that? of walking on high streets, etc. <laughs> I've never heard that. I am so old in real oh life. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> actually, actually, while you say that, Will, I think, Rob, weren't you pulling us up the other day based on on, on your relative I youth? I going to get abused for this. Come on, Rob. Yeah. What, what do you yes, need to... Yes, I was, I was listening to the, to, to the podcast to show we take our own medicine. I was listening to the podcast for a few weeks ago and listening to Will's pronunciation of Dogecoin as do- doggy coin, which I, it shows two things, right? I thought at first, like, maybe you're showing your age, but actually, maybe, maybe it's a good thing because maybe you haven't got you know, teenage, old enough to have grown up children who are, who are, who are ribbing you at home about it. And therefore you're getting it, you're getting it right. So. I'm getting away with it. I, I prefer doggy coin. Can I continue to call it doggy coin? <laughs> or teenage children speculating their, their pocket money on it, possibly more likely. But Rob, coming back to what Will was just talking about with respect to savings ratios, etc. Clearly, how people treat cash savings or what they might do with with cash there's a there's a lot of behavioral aspects to that what what can you share with us around you know what what you're seeing happening yeah so i mean obviously there's there's the factors driving what what's what's you know behind people's income and expenditure and and will's touched on that but i think cash saving is very much the sort of default behavior so you know, when when we when we have more coming in and we when it goes out, you know, often that sits in our current accounts and maybe we move it to a savings account. That's that's quite easy to to do generally, especially if we have you know digital banking. You can do it on on the click of an app, and it feels very you know easy to do that. So we've seen savings build up and build up primarily in in cash and big cash balances. All of the all of the banks have lots of customers with who have been building up these these cash balances. And on one hand, it's probably quite good because people have been probably engaging with their savings a little bit more potentially. But it's still what presents the biggest challenge, I think, for many people is how do we, you know, how do we know how much that we need in, in cash versus how much we can put away for slightly longer term to potentially, you know, to invest, to try and grow that longer term wealth that's going to provide for us, um, you know, in the years ahead. Now, it's very easy to overestimate how much you need and there's lots of biases. And I think that's always existed. But obviously, with the pandemic we've been through, that's possibly going to have an effect on people's ability to really judge that. And, and it's easy to, to overweight what are quite small probability events that we might need, you know, basically all the money we've got in cash just in case. But the real thing is there, then you're obviously trading off against, you know, the ability to, to grow your money into the, into the long term. Now, the interesting thing we've seen is, you know, many more people have engaged and started to invest for the first time through this crisis. Um, and we've tended to see that's been primarily the younger sort of demographic and it's often been tech enabled but you know still large large people lots and lots of people still sit on on very large amounts of, of cash can i just say i'm not going to waste that opportunity you've given me to be boring about the lesson from history <laughs> because you're that's exactly what history you know the, the the sort of economic history tells you basically the broad bland message is that consumers do feel you know, that vivid, you know, that rainy day is a little bit more vivid for quite a long time after, you know, these pandemics, you find that savings ratios are, you know, elevated for a quite a protracted period of time, which will, you know, corroborate what you're saying from a behavioural standpoint. Wow, that's, that's interesting, Will. So just taking that, if you don't mind, what's the answer to it, though? Well, I mean, uh, you know, again, uh, the caution we would give always is, you know, be careful of how you use history, you've got to keep an open mind here, you know, the pandemic 
actually, you know, apart from being called a pandemic, it's got very, very different features um, and probably important features relative to pandemics and the responses in the past, you know, particularly in terms of policy response, uh, you know, those furlough schemes and, uh, you know, the stimulus checks in the US and, you know, you've seen that across the developed world. Does that influence how consumers feel about this, you know, particular pandemic aftermath relative to others? Uh, And obviously the speed and unbelievable efficacy, touch wood, of the battery of vaccines. You know, all of those things are quite potentially influential in making this time, you know, may indeed be different. Okay. And so, well, perhaps perhaps if you could just expand a little from what Rob was saying, okay, so if we recognize the behavioral aspects, if if we are as some of our questions coming from customers and clients around actually should I be investing? So what is the element of risk that perhaps individuals, you know, how do they assess that? How do they assess how long they need to tie up their, their funds for in order to make investing the right, the right thing for them to do? Can, can you just give us, obviously, it has to be broad brush answers because mm. no two people are the same. But what would you say to to people posing those kinds of questions? Well, so the sensible answer is obviously going to come from Rob here. But what I can do is just give you some, you know, from the perspective of when and why from, you know, from an investor standpoint, it's really about trying to using whatever financial resources you can bring to bear uh, as efficiently as possible. You know, and the idea that we're sort of promoting and, you know, I think this is pretty established you know, it's not, this is not new thinking necessarily, is that the more tightly you can tether whatever savings you can spare uh, to a batch of, you know, long-term diversified investments convers- consistent with your comfort levels, which Rob can talk about, you know, the quicker you should be able to achieve whatever long-term financial goals, you know, you cherish. So goes the theory. Uh, and I'm not going to do my long-term returns uh, or about human productivity rant. You know, you know it too well, but that is why I'm sorry. Forgive me, but, but, it, it, but, but that is why, you know, the sooner the better. The more days, hours you can spend in a globally diversified investment portfolio, the luckier you are likely uh, to get if the long-term history of, you know, financial markets is, is anything to go by. And I sense spend as, as, as you know, long-term. You know, that's the important word there. You know, we can't, you know, the the, the disclaimers about past performance being uh, a poor indicator of future returns. That's entirely right. You know, when thinking about, uh, you know, the things you can expect in the short term from investments. But history does tell you that there is a more positive longer term uh, story associated with patience and diversification. So, Will, you threw down the gauntlet there for Rob by saying that he would have a far more thorough answer <laughs> for me. So, so Rob, I'm going to turn to you if you don't mind. But, but I think very specifically, Will mentioned, of course, that past performance, not being a guide to future, except, and we recognise, right, all the, all the disclaimers that we always tend to share about potentially getting back less than you started with if your time horizon is too short. But can you just share a little bit for the listeners around how people should think about these things? Yeah, of course. And I think there's there's two aspects. One I'll just touch on very briefly is is you know being being in the right financial position to in, to invest. And and you know that question is often posed as you know when's the right time to invest. I'd kind of flip that around a little bit. Maybe just say you know who you know who who isn't investing right for because it might make it easier and my financial financial planning colleagues uh, would be the first to point out some of the key barriers i think we've mentioned before is you know things like if you have expensive debt then you know paying that off obviously before investing is is is, is the right thing to do and um, you know if you don't have 
you know, the, the emergency buffer for that rainy day that we just talked about, you know, you need something there and obviously it's up to you, you know, how, how sizable you want that to be and how that, how comfortable that makes you. And then, you know, there's things like insurance. But once you get beyond and having, sorry, having the right sort of insurance in place to make sure that you don't need to, you know, take out of your investments because of uh, some risk that you can, you can, you can eliminate. But apart from that, then there's really comes down to like, you know, your attitudes and how you feel about taking on risk. And the reality is obviously if, if you don't want any possibility of ending up with less money than, than than you have now, nominally anyway, that is, uh, you know, in terms of pounds and pence on, on the screen or in your account, then then investing obviously isn't right for you. There is always that that risk. I think when it when it comes to thinking about attitudes, there's two parts of risk attitudes we kind of break apart a lot. And when we're talking to clients and when we think about investing generally, and I think that's really important. The first is what we call risk tolerance, which is, you know, how, how you feel, um, you know, if you invested in a portfolio, how would you feel if in five years' time it was worth less than it is now? Can you bear the thought of that, even if it's you know just a just a smaller possibility of happening? You know, and if you're happy to accept that you know there's a small chance you could be worse off, then you know potentially you can take some risk. And if you're slightly happier that there might be a slightly larger risk of that happening, but you know you're willing to take that on in in the seek of better returns, then you know potentially you can you can think about taking on a bit more risk and going from sort of up through the scale of you know what we see in the industry of low, moderate, sort of high risk in terms of those sorts of portfolios. But the other thing we also like to talk about is is composure, which is this idea of risk tolerance very much thinking about the end goal. So in the long term, how are you going to feel about potentially, you know, that 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 chance of losing a little bit of money. But Composure is really about how are you going to feel day to day when, you know, after you've invested and those markets, you know, play out. And as we've seen, you know, even if you're a long term investor, if you invested at the beginning of 2020 and you said, well, I'm going to put mine away for at least five years. And then you were invested in a slightly higher risk portfolio that was heavily skewed into sort of stocks and shares. Then come the beginning of April, you would have been sitting on a substantial virtual loss in your portfolio. How would that make you feel? Because the reality is, even if that recovery comes if you don't have the ability to to make it through that storm then it's kind of irrelevant what the longer term goal is so it's very important to think about you know how you will feel on that up and down and can you disconnect a little bit are you able to not engage day to day because those are the sorts of things you should really be thinking about before deciding how much you're going to put into one investment yeah and i think also you know just thinking about it in the short term the short term can be very um disorienting can't it anyway and i think you know uh, looking at our you know our the team's view at the moment um with regards to the outlook it's pretty balanced at the moment isn't it i mean our our signals are not necessarily flashing red with regards to signs of investor exuberance in stocks but they're certainly you know pockets that many look uh, may look a little bit fanciful with the benefit of hindsight but i think at the moment that's more about the volatility we're seeing back in those cryptocurrencies i can pronounce the longer form uh we saw uh, we saw this week and i don't know about you but i mean the ride here is you know just onto the back onto the cryptocurrencies because it is the topic of the moment but the ride here is surely going to have to get a lot less wild if they're going to be considered plausible stores of value or mediums of exchange i mean you can't just go into the shops and use this as currency if you think about it you know I'll, you think you know speak to the shopkeeper as you know i'll have one pint of milk actually can i have all of your milk i oh, no, no no wait there i'll just have some chewing gum please you know it's it's um, it's got to settle down hasn't it yeah indeed i think what, what's interesting there is you know how many how many people are, are investing speculative in terms of obviously they're happy to put a very small amount of their of their money into crypto in in the almost like a lottery they hope there may be a really big payoff but it doesn't matter if, if it all goes to zero versus how many people are actually sort of using you know the, the currency on a, on a day-to-day basis but it's interesting and rob just another 
part of the conversation that often arises with clients and customers is around the here and now. Is is now the right time to invest? I know you get asked this a lot and you know there's there's both that fear of missing out and and that sort of regret that perhaps I could have got a better deal if I'd waited what's the right response well I mean it's funny I think probably Will gets that question more, more than I do actually my, my response is probably the one that may have slightly more sort of resonance with people but <laughs> Will's already alluded to you know what what our our short-term outlook is it might be wants to go into a bit more detail but from a from my point of view it always it never seems like a good time to invest even with my hat on of you know knowing knowing what i do and and sitting where i sit thinking okay if, if i want if i've got money for the longer term i'm happy to tie it up for for a while investing in a, in a diversified portfolio is the right thing to do but i can't help but look around and, and think actually is it a good time to invest aren't we at the top of the market people talk about bubbles you know is it about without to see a rotation out of growth stocks into value and are we positioned for that and that you know all, all these sorts of questions but I think because of the news cycle and because of the way that you know that the news industry works is it will almost never be a good time to invest in terms of you know there's always someone somewhere or something somewhere with you know dark clouds over it so i think you know if if the fear of of being the wrong time to invest is, is sort of stopping you then i'd really start to think about so that you don't miss out because essentially you know if it isn't the wrong time it's the right time and then further down the road you realize that and now you're even less likely to invest because you're like oh i should have invested back six months ago but now i regret that decision it's harder to get back in so what i would suggest is people think about just starting to get in and, and you know if you've got cash that you're happy to invest then you know think about phasing that in to give yourself some comfort so you know if the worst does happen then you will be buying in in the future at a slightly better price the same sort of thing but the the reality is if, if things are going up then at least you've started that process and i guess in a way i mean psychologically now that most of us can look at our investments you know perhaps through an app whenever we want to um it, it can actually drive some of the worst behaviors i know my daughter who's got an isa i have to correct her when every day she says to me you know i made 20 pounds or i lost 15 pounds <laughs> i said well, you haven't you haven't made or lost anything until until the time comes where where you want to sell it <laughs> but it, yeah. it does change our behavior doesn't it when we can watch these things you know real time or or indeed you know more frequently than for a long-term investment perhaps is sensible Definitely. The influence on behavior, I cannot understate the, the relationship between the frequency with which you monitor your portfolio and then the likely actions you take off the back of that. And, and that in turn then affects performance. And unfortunately, it's a, it's a negative correlation. So it, it means that, you know, the more you watch, the more likely you are to do something and the less likely you are to make in terms of portfolio returns on, on, on average. Now, yeah, it's that double-edged sword of technology. It's, you know, on one hand, it's enabling and it's fantastic. But then in certain contexts, you know, the ability to, like you say, to check something that is meant for the long term every yeah. second of every day is, is not necessarily a good thing. But actually, I mean, Rob, for our listeners, any, any tips and hints as to what would be a good habit? The first thing I'd say is, you know, to some extent, automate as much as possible, because then you take away having to make multiple decisions so what i mean by that is things like contributions so if, if you're saving every month um you know or or like i said before if you're not quite ready to to get invested then think about creating that that structure for phasing in what if you can do that automatically you know so i know some some sites will, will let you do that others won't but you know if you can if you can automate as much as you can so that 
you know, today you make that decision and then you kind of force it upon yourself in the future without, again, having to make that decision because you go down the road, you've got to go through the same thought process about whether it's the right time to invest and all those sorts of things all over again. Very good. So make make it a habit. And Will, I mean, Rob Rob was mentioning there about, you know, where he sits um, sort of figuratively at the moment because he's sitting at home, but um, as are <laughs> we all, hence the slightly scratchy mic sounds. But with the current economic conditions, I mean, we've we're, we've obviously been talking about the approach to investing, but but right now, I guess for our listeners, we're always interested in what's your view, what's the team's view at the moment, what do you see happening out there? Always a loaded question. It's squint into the crystal ball and then see how much I can give you on one hand and on the other that <laughs> kind of answer because you know that that's 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 the way. I mean, I think the interesting thing about the near term future is really that story about you know how much of that savings is going to you know splash down to the on, onto the economy uh, in the second half of the year, both the UK and globally. And really, the big story of the moment is about inflation. You know, has this part you know this crisis or indeed you know the wider shifting of the global economic tectonic plates has it has it shifted us onto a new inflation paradigm are we going to see a move away from decades of disinflation and falling interest rates into one of you know rising uh, rising inflation and rising interest rates that's one of them and i think also you know the one that's really interesting for me and from an investor perspective is just really this story about you know whether we are on the cusp of this you know much broader wider industrial transformation you know the so-called fourth industrial revolution which would be transformative in all sorts of areas but it's also as I always say you know very helpful for potential portfolio returns and it is an incentive to invest today like I say if you can. Okay, so changing tax slightly, it's it's the housing market is something that most of us tend to watch just out of absolute interest all the time. But clearly, it, it has quite an importance in the UK economy. There is a bit of concern here that once the stamp duty offer comes to an end, that we might see a bit of a bubble burst. What do you think, Will? What's your view on where we are? And might we might we look back at history in, in this regard as well? Yes, I mean, we've been talking a little bit about sort of, you know, how we probably would be wise to expect lower returns in the future. And we'd hesitate to predict bubbles and stuff like that. But I mean, one key question of many for the outlook for the UK housing market is really to what extent, you know, that really understandable urge for, you know, the dash for space, how much that will endure once the pandemic recedes. And a degree of, you know, flexible working will persist in all likelihood, higher than previous trends, but likely lower than we were, you know, we've seen in the last year. Now, that story is obviously closely intertwined and could take a while to settle. Another big, reasonably unanswerable question is whether, you know, we alluded to earlier, whether inflation and interest rates are moving on to a quite different path than the one we are used to in the in the recent decade. Now, overall, our word of caution would be, like I say, not to extrapolate the performance of the housing market in the last few decades into the next several. Uh, and actually, as it goes, the last decade has already been a bit quieter. But we would argue that, you know, you may not be, you know, the home may not be your all-in-one place to live as well as uh, you know a competitive investment vehicle alongside that you know looking forward uh, you know a, a path of kind of meeker returns that you know maybe potentially ahead rob anything to add yes yeah, so we see many people you know tend to buy investment property they're very 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 popular you know as an investment and often as as a trade off if you like to to buying an investor financial what we call a financial portfolio or, or investment i think the thing to note here is just that we tend to see Property through sometimes through rose tinted glasses, um, you know, there's, there's behavioral reasons why we like property, bricks and mortar, we can see it. Um, you know, we, we, we tend to live in one and, and 
obviously the the like will says the history of price appreciation is something that 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 is going to affect our behavior but i think the reality is that they're very illiquid and often the risks are underplayed because we don't you know you don't see the day-to-day price movement of houses you just sort of see it over the over the longer term and it's really difficult to understand the sort of the yield or the return of, in, of investment property unless you can keep a really kind of close eye on it and what i mean by that is you know, there are many investments many property investments that are loss making when you when you take in all of the costs and all of the, the income but it's it's difficult to necessarily see that what you see is you know you see the income you think of the income you don't necessarily think of all the kind of costs associated with keeping it and i guess the last point is just around diversification the fact that it's really difficult to get diversification as an individual you know investor buying into property is how how you end up being very concentrated in one or, or a few specific houses and therefore a few specific areas and that increases the risk a little bit we don't necessarily uh, see that always. All right, Rob, Rob Will, thank you very much for joining us. And thank you to our listeners and subscribers. Do please go to barclays.co.uk slash investments if you'd like any more information about investing and the options available to you. And of course, if you have any feedback or topics you'd like us to discuss, then do let us know. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.